Welcome to the Connected by Care Portal podcast, where a range of perspectives provide insight to the experiences behind the Care Portal requests. Let's take a listen. Hey, Care Portal. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Connected by Care Portal. We have two amazing guests today, and they both come from the wonderful city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they're doing work within Care Portal. But I will say that I'm excited for this conversation more so about the relationship that they built with each other um, and the work that they're doing with families and in the community and how it's actually impacted them and their walk with Christ. So I am really excited to get into this conversation. Um, I want to do a brief introduction on both of them. They have, like I said, created a beautiful relationship between the two of them over time, and we'll hear more about that. Um, We're going to hear from Miss Andrea Hogue. Um, and then she's going to tell us a little bit about her connection to Care Portal. And we also are going to hear from Ms. Manita Forney. So, Andrea, I'm going to start with you. So tell us a little bit about what you do specifically for Care Portal. But even more so, I would love the listeners to hear about why this is so personal for you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ashley. We're excited to share. Um, so in the state of Oklahoma, I serve um, I serve as what's called a regional manager for the the counties on the eastern side of Oklahoma. And so um, I have a team that engages with churches and our our mission, uh, Manita and I both work for 111 Project, and our mission is to mobilize the church so that every child has a family in Oklahoma. And sometimes that family is their biological family. And sometimes that family is a foster or adoptive family, Um, but we are about that work. And Care Portal is our primary tool of mobilization um, for the churches that we serve in Oklahoma. So, um, and just on my personal story, that is a driver for me. Um, I was actually born the daughter of a drug addict. Um, My father was a, a drug addict at the time of my birth, and he was severely abusive to my mother. Um, that abuse started when he, when she was pregnant with me and, um, continued for another three years. And so my first memories of a child involved, um, a tremendous amount of domestic violence and trauma. And, um, you know, when I was a teenager, Jesus rescued me. I heard the message of the gospel and, um, chose to believe it, even though I really had no idea what I was getting into (laughs) and he rescued me and he set me up on this path of redemption. And, um, my mom is one of the dearest people in my life. Um, she's a survivor of of domestic violence. And when we look back at our story and that happened in the early eighties, um, I would have for sure been a candidate for foster care. And um, her story would have been very, very different if it played out today. And so when I meet families that are in a domestic violence situation, which is a lot of families in Oklahoma who are in the child welfare system, I can look the moms in the eye and tell them, I, I know that you can make it because my mom has made it, you know, and their kids also have hope because I'm one of those kids. And so Um, that really drives me. I think most people who meet me would never guess that that's the beginning of my story because I live such a redeemed life. I've been married to the same man for 23 years. I've got three beautiful children who love and know Jesus, and we live out redemption every single day. So I want that for other people. So it's clear, Angela, you definitely don't look like what you've been through. I don't know that I would have guessed that either, but 
you're on the other side of it, praise God. But I love that you're using that, right, to connect to the families that you serve. You have that relatability and you know what it feels like to be in that seed of what is needed, that it's not just a financial thing. And I know we talked um, offline a little bit, but even that relational poverty that you brought up of like, it's not necessarily the financial piece. Can you speak to our, our listeners a little bit about kind of what your perception is of what might've been missing in your family and kind of what you see with the families that you serve relationally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the thing that got us out of the situation with my biological father and the severe abuse was my mom's parents coming in the middle of the night and taking us back to Tulsa. Um, and those, those relationships were toxic in their own way, but still she had parents who had capacity and the means to come and help her. And we lived with them for seven years. And, um, when we look at poverty across across Oklahoma, across the the, the United States, um, you see you see poverty. But I think the bigger culprit is relational poverty. I have a cell phone full of contacts that I can. I have a mechanic that's that a text message away. That's a friend of mine from church. You know, I've got a radiologist friend who looks at all the X rays my children ever have. Who's just a text message away. But not everybody has that, and. Um, I'm probably 10 steps away from homelessness, 20 steps away, probably a hundred steps away because I have so many people in my community. I'm relationally wealthy. That would, that would be a far cry from what happens to me, but I've met many, many people through care portal who that is not the case for. Um, relational poverty is a huge factor and I might be the only person that's ever been an encouraging voice to them um, in that moment that I get to connect with them, which is an amazing tool um, an amazing weapon against what they're fighting against is just that measure of connection and relationship that's offered. But, um, but yeah, I think the church has relationship. They have healthy relationship and that's what they have to offer to people and the people can accept it or not, but they can at least offer and invite into relationship. Um, a lot of people that we've talked to talk about or we've heard them reflect that the only people that they have in their life are paid to care for them. Well, that's a harsh reality. And may that not be so of the people we connect with. May we show them the kindness of the Lord. Romans 2 talks about the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And um, that's what we carry. That's what we're conduits of when we offer that relationship. Absolutely. And speaking of relationships, it's not only the relationships that we build with newcomers in the community or things, people that we're now being introduced to through the families that we serve, but also you guys, as I mentioned, Manita, um, I'm going to bring you in the conversation. You guys have, from what I can tell, built this beautiful relationship between the two of you. So I want to hear a little bit about that. So Manita, how did you come to know um, Dree, but also how did you become connected with Care Portal? Dree has been my neighbor for years, but I actually was walking one uh, morning and I was actually praying. I was like, Lord, uh, this is a new season of my life. My son is off in college. I've served as a stay-at-home mom uh, for years. Um, and so now I'm in this big transition state and I was like, what now? And I literally said, I really... I really have a desire to be somehow connected with 111 Project because I'd heard about it years back through my church um, fostering 
some boys that were part of our ministry and we took them in under kinship. And so as I was stating that, I turned the corner and this lady walks out. I've seen her before with just a wave and she's like, hey, how are you doing? And she starts this conversation. And I was like, well, I've not seen you in a while. She's like, well, I'm working now. I'm working for 111 Project and my jaw dropped because it's like I'm praying at one moment and I collide with the blessing. And I say that it's just been a blessing uh, ever since that collision. And I know that it was a God thing. And so from that point on, uh, she walked me through handheld me through our ministry getting signed up uh, to serve using the care portal and it's been a blessing to our church we are a small ministry and since COVID it seemed like we were not as engaged with the community and work within the community and our philosophy is bringing healing wholeness and growth to uh, the city of Tulsa and so it's like okay so many things had been shut down. We were serving at an apartment complex that was shut down. And so once Dre did this, she had helped me into accepting our first request. It was on and popping after that. It's like, okay, this I absolutely love. And um, I serve as the Tulsa area ambassador. So she's pulled me into some other things. I now work for 111 Project, which I absolutely love, which is a ministry in itself. Um, yeah, so it's just been a blessing. It's been a blessing to me. I believe the care portal now, uh, if you were to ask me, well, what is it? it? It literally, for me, it is a platform that God is using to display to the world that, hey, I want my church to be one. I want the believers to be one. And as we go out serving the community together, we're displaying that that we are one and that ultimately says what John 17 uh, 22 is like the world would know that you sent me because of their oneness and that was a prayer that Jesus prayed for all believers so Drew talked about uh, relational poverty and since I've been serving families I was trying to figure out what why is there this pull and drive within my heart. I grew up in poverty, physical poverty, and I saw that as the focus. But since serving within the care portal, a lot of memories have come back. And what I had was relational poverty that did the damage to me, that made me feel alone, that little girl that was alone. Because I didn't have, well, you don't have friends. You don't have the right clothing. You don't have friends. Um, you don't have anyone pouring into you. Uh, you're viewed as an outcast. So then when I am going and giving to any child, I or any mom blessing a, a child, it is this idea of, it's almost like I see myself. If somebody had done that to me, just maybe I wouldn't, be this person that, I mean, I, there's a struggle with, with, with rejection that I deal with and my eyes have been open. It's like, dude, why, why is that there? It's there because 
relational poverty. I had no one to say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay, you are accepted. No, you don't have everything that the next child has or that you need, but you're all right. And so I wanna be that voice. I wanna be the one to, I, I literally wanna hug every child, every mom and say, you know what, you're not alone. You are not alone and you can do it, so. What I, love about, what I love about Manita and I's relationship is that day we didn't know what wealth the Lord had in store for us just through our connection. Manita's introduced me to a slew of new people and I've introduced her to a slew of new friends and both of us, um, both of us have really benefited from that connection and that relationship. And I, I thank God every day for her in my life more than just somebody I wave at in the neighborhood, but somebody I'm <laughs> in kingdom shenanigans with every day. So. Yeah. And it's amazing that you guys live on the same block and I know this is audio. And so our listeners can't see each can't see us, but there's, there's definitely a racial component here. Part of this conversation specifically because we're talking about being one and doing things together and the unity of it. And so Manita for the audience is black and then Dre is white. Um, and so just to state that obvious point, only reason I make sure that we bring that up is because that is a pretty big significance in how you guys started meeting needs initially. Can you tell me about some of those early connections that you made with family and how race played a part in that? Yeah, I, I can I can tell the story where our eyes kind of opened up differently to the component that we had. Um, so there was a, a family that I met through Care Portal that I was taking a table to one day, um, a, a kid's table. I had met their need another time and was staying connected to them and had this table and was taking it over. And I saw Manita on the way out of the neighborhood and I said, yeah, I'm taking this table to a family of five in North Tulsa, you know, and I explained or whatever. And she's like, I'm doing a delivery tonight. I'll let you know how it goes. Well, um, Manita did a delivery that night and she showed up at the door with her husband, Richard. They knocked on the door and um, they had some bus passes to give the family. And um, the gentleman, the dad of the family who was black came out and, and greeted them and got pretty emotional and just said, you know, you're the, you're the first black church who's helped me. The white church was here earlier today. And, but you're the first black church. Well, Manita, the light bulb went off in Manita's head and she realized that I was the white church he was talking about. And um, Manita and Richard stayed there for a couple hours that night, visiting with him and his family. They got to know them, know their story. Um, where my experience earlier in their day was a pretty brief four minute conversation. And um, I was given a lot less time and a lot less influence. And my presence didn't mean the same thing that Manita and Richard's present meant to them. And so Manita came home from that and she she's always on cloud nine after she meets a request. I wish y'all could hear how jazzed she is when she meets these families. <laughs> but she was just sharing about how well, because that's probably maybe their third request they met. I mean, it was really early on in their journey. And, um, you know, we connected and she said, Dree, why, why does it have to be the black church and the white church? Why can't, why can't it just be us together? And she's like, we need to do this together. We need to do this together so that they see unity and such a profound moment. You know, what, what would it have been like for that gentleman if we had come together? and presented those things. What, what would that have done for him? And um, yeah, it's just hugely significant. So 
it's been beautiful to watch that kind of play out. And I realize I have limits, you know, I have limits as a white girl um, ministering to some black families. I'm not gonna, they're not gonna instantly feel the same connection to me that they would Manita and Richard and their family. And I'm okay with that because I want them to know Jesus, you know? And so, um, and then some avenues, uh, I might have more credibility than Manita and Richard would have, but how much more credibility can we have if we do it together and we're seeing together doing the good work? So that's kind of our story. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I want to ask you, Manita, so I know that you were, like, like she described, a Black family meeting a Black family and you received a little bit differently. And even, there was even a vocal component to it. Like they even verbalized <laughs> the difference that they experienced. And I don't think a lot of um, responders would ever hear that experience from them directly that this is my experience with white churches and this is my experience with black churches and this is how I'm responding to it but it was kind of brought to your attention that they verbalized that tell me a little bit about what you might have um, encountered during that visit of and, and why it might be important to see things through their lens and understand what that experience was for them well for me it was a little bit it it took me off I mean, I was thrown off my game. I mean, I'm excited. I'm like, okay, I'm getting ready. I have, you know, biblical liter literature to give to him because I want to encourage him and so forth. But before I could even get to that, it was that, that expression. Well, and it was, Dre kind of stated it mildly. It's like, well, he's glad to see the black church. I'm glad to see the black church. And I was like, okay. And he said, the white church is always here. They always come. I've never seen the black church come and support. And I was like, whoa. And for me, I thought, why is it that he's not seeing that the church, that Jesus came and met his need? And so I had to digest it and process it. My husband and I, after he got back in the car, we talked about it for a while. And uh, this, this sometimes I think when it is white, black, or they're just coming to give us stuff. And it's kind of that attitude. Thank you for the stuff. Mm -hmm. And because of the barrier, because of the assumption that the individual is making. Um, and I'm like, my friend, Dre. I know her. I mean, I know her heart came and delivered this item to him, but because of where he's living, um, because of his experiences, because of his paradigm, I believe that that's, you know, what he saw. And I, I, it, it changed my view uh, from a standpoint of whenever I can go with someone, not necessarily just uh, black, white, but a different denomination, someone from, from uh, a different uh, entity that um, believes in Jesus, if I can go with them, that doesn't look like me, then I want to do that, just so that he, I want them to see Jesus, period. I don't want them to see color. I want them to see Jesus, but it really helped me, and it helped uh, 
me to understand the significance of, you know, you're stepping into, you're, you're trying to step into someone's journey. There are those barriers that you're going to run into and you really need to be sensitive um, to the spirit of God. You can't go into delivering one request with what happened with the previous request. So, yeah. And you never know as, as you never know as the responder, what that might look like simply because of race, like all black families aren't going to react to you because you're black in the same way. Same similarly with a white responder, they're not going to always react to the white responder a specific way simply because they're of a different race. So that I think that's important for our listeners to also grasp is like you are stepping into that specific journey and trying to understand what that perspective is that they have and trying to figure out how to best join with them specifically. But you were going to say something, Drew, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying Manita serves us in Oklahoma as an ambassador in particular to um, several African-American churches. And um, the significance of that is actually that several of those churches are in our already under-resourced areas where we don't have enough churches responding and um, yet they want to respond. So going and empowering them and equipping them to respond in their neighborhood, because the heart and strategy behind care portal is that they might be able to walk to the church that brought them the thing. And the reality for me that day and Manita too, because we're both neighbors, like that, that guy that day probably would have never guessed in a million years, Manita and I were neighbors. Right. But um we don't live anywhere near that gentleman and our churches aren't really anywhere near that gentleman. We need a church in his neighborhood actually uh, empowered and equipped to respond. And so Manita has been paving a way for that for us in Tulsa, which is a beautiful work to see. So I just wanted to mention that it took an ambassador for us to, to make those inroads. And she is that. Awesome. Well, speaking of kind of that posture, that we show up with. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the importance of how you show up to the family, um, considering what might be on the other side of the door, but also recognizing what you bring and not letting that kind of uh, steer the, the interaction in a certain way. Dree, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, um, I feel real passionate about this one. Um, so I always talk about preserving dignity to those that we're reaching. Um, the cross is the great equalizer at the foot of the cross. We're all the same that we're all the same. We all have the same thing to offer. And, and that's really nothing but ourselves. Right. And so with that mindset, there's nobody that you're going to meet on the other end of a care portal request that is any worse off than you in kingdom mindset. And so how do you approach that and preserve their dignity in a moment that could be um, could be embarrassing, humiliating, all of those things, very humbling to be in that position. Um, so when I go to a home, the first thought I have in my head is I am the stranger. I'm the stranger to them. And I'm about to step into their house, which is an incredibly vulnerable thing. And I want to make sure they know that I am not thinking I'm better than them. So when I, when I knock on a door and I and I meet a family for the first time. Um, I just, I introduce myself and I say, thank you so much for allowing me to come to your home. Um, I know that this can be awkward and I'm a stranger to you. And so I, I appreciate the trust you're offering me and I know it can feel awkward. And I just acknowledge right out 
kind of what what the elephant in the room is, right? And most people, uh, their guard comes down whenever I just acknowledge the humanity of the situation, you know, like instead of me approaching them like, oh, they're a stranger. I don't know what they're going to do. Like, no, I'm actually the stranger. They should be nervous about me. They probably are nervous about me if I was in their position. And so um, that's a game changer when you have that mindset. And um, I'm also pretty passionate about showing the kindness of the Lord, being a conduit of kindness of the Lord in those moments, in those first moments. Um, I, I talk about like transactional gospel isn't necessarily the healthiest way to communicate the gospel. Like, Hey, I brought you this bed. Would you please accept Jesus in your heart? Now that seems a little transactional to me. Whereas offering kindness, the kindness of the Lord leading to repentance and offering kindness over and over again until there's relationship to invite into that rescue. Um, I'm pretty passionate about that. So if you're in it, be in it. If they let you go long haul with them, go long haul. Some, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. And I've got about eight bazillion stories I could tell about the long haul, the long haul walk with some of them. So I, I actually have one story in particular I'll share because it, hopefully it fits in, but yeah, um, there was a, a young woman who was, uh, well, she's actually close to my age, but we're young, right? Um, she was working to reunify with her daughter. And so care portal need came up. Somebody from my church had given a mattress to donate. So I, I connected with the caseworker, connected with this mom who was working to reunify, delivered a mattress to her. And I had like a 10 minute conversation with her. Um, and uh, I heard her, I knew her story just a little bit. And whenever I meet people, I always tell them like, I know this moment of your life like this moment, you're working to reunify, you need a mattress, but I don't know all the moments that got you here. And I can't predict all the moments that are going to come. But in this moment, I want you to hear that you're the best thing for your daughter. And I'm cheering for you. And that woman, uh, I say that to people a lot, but this woman reacted differently. And she began to show me pictures of her daughter. She began to tell me more of her story. And so we had, we had about a 10 minute conversation and at the end of that conversation, I just said, you know, I just want to say again, you're the best thing for your daughter. I'm so proud of you for taking these steps uh, towards getting her back. I'm cheering for you and I'd love to hear updates. Well, I say that a lot to people and nobody ever updates me, but uh, this gal, this gal started updating me weekly. It, it was, it was about 10 months worth of weekly updates outside of a, of a two month stretch where she switched phones. She got a new number and she said, Hey, this is this is me. I got a new phone. I just wanted to update you, which was impressive that she had my phone number and saved it. And so um, anyway, about 10 months later, finally, she started weekend visits. So I knew reunification was coming and then reunification happened. And so um, my son, who's nine, we got care packages together to celebrate them home and took them over, um, took some gifts for the little girl and some a care package for the mama. And we sat in their home uh, for about an hour and visited. I got to hear a lot more of her story. She, she communicated just generational cycle of what she was walking through. She had been removed from her home as a child. She had two daughters previous to this one that were removed from her. And she just was resolved that this was going to be different. 
and that this baby girl was never going to know what she knew that the generational cycle was going to stop right here. And she was just brilliantly inspiring and in a, in a really beautiful and healthy place. And, um, I learned a lot from her that day and I, I took pictures and texted her afterwards. I texted her the pictures afterwards and told her, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing your story with me. I feel that it was an honor to hear it. And she texted me back and she said, can I have your name? I just have you in my phone as the lady who was kind. Oh. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad I didn't have a name and that I was the lady who was kind. And that's an example of relational poverty right there. Who else in her life, except the lady who was kind, who she had a 10 minute conversation, was cheering her on, was interested in updates, was saying that she was the best thing for her daughter. I'm, I was a stranger, a stranger, but that's the power that kindness has right there. So anyway, we still communicate every week. I still get updates. I'm still journeying with them, cheering them on, and it's an honor to do so. So that's powerful because that's, that's just a snippet of what support looks like, right? Like it's just showing up for someone and being that person in that moment. And it means the world to them. And you, you might not have known what all you're bringing to that situation, but each of you described kind of the, the child experience that you guys lived through and me, me as well. I can join that conversation in that experience of if there were enough eyes on our family, like I could have absolutely been taken too, right? Like there's, there's definitely points at which um, a lot of families can be broken and torn apart, but just one person giving her that confidence that that's not the answer, right? It's not that there's a, a better family for them. You are the best person for that child. I think that's some powerful language that you use with them. And even just knowing kind of what that feels like to have someone support you in that way to say, I'm not looking for you to mess up. I know that you're a caring, loving woman and a, a great parent to your kids. And I want to help you. Um, I, I see you in, in, a, in that way. And I, I know that you can um, do, do a great job raising your children. Like just that, that voice of support means the world to someone to keep them going, or it could mean the world to someone to keep them going. And that's that relational piece that you're talking about. I like Dre, I will say, uh, thank you for allowing me to step into your journey. My first, I think it was the first uh, care portal request that I met. The young lady was just extremely grateful. And she was, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I was like, no, thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of your journey. Um, you know, we all have our different places that we're struggling, uh, but we're just here to cheer you on and to let you know that Jesus sees you. And she's like, but what do I have to do? I said, you don't have to do anything but receive. Uh, just receive. And she said, just receive. I said, just receive. I said, I need you to know that Jesus loves you and that he sees you. And that's it. And she, it's almost like she changed her posture because at first it was going to be transactional. Well, thank you. But then after I said that, Thank you. She, her, she, I think it just kind of took her back. She's like, oh, you are appreciating me for allowing you to be a part of the journey. Um, Jesus, he has positioned each of us as believers that we are to be conduits of his grace, 
his mercy and his love and kindness and like what Dre talked about. So yeah, I just and in the previous hope one day I'll have I hope one day I will have a uh, a Dre story. I, I think imagine this if every person returned the lady that was kind. So I've been telling her story often <laughs> as I've been training other people. So when I trained, I was doing some training uh, with my team a couple of weeks ago, and I retold that story that that young lady did not have her name stored in the phone and to say, oh, it was the lady that was kind. And that's what I was stored as, the lady that was kind. And it's okay to use Dre's story. I, I, we can, I can use it now. Like it, as long as it's a true story that it, and it made, made an impact, we didn't have to live it ourselves, but it's a true story that made an impact on people's lives. And we can all retell that because I think that's beautiful. And I think it was actually your words when we were talking earlier, being able to celebrate without giving opinions about their choices, that you weren't focused on what got her here or what put her in this situation or what, you know, got you know made her in this in this predicament where she needed your your help um to come and kind of walk alongside her there was no attention to that you were just celebrating her in her womanhood in her parenthood that she could do it and i think that's kind of that powerful piece of you seeing them and like you said giving them dignity in that moment thanks for listening there's always more to the conversation and we invite you to share your thoughts in the comments section don't forget to subscribe and to stay connected